afternoon, officially. Hello, hello. Hi, I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. It's 12.15. It's 12.15. We made it to the afternoon. Do you know where your children are? Sorry. (laughs) I'm like, that's a Gen X thing. That's how great boomer parents were to Gen X kids. There was literally a thing that came on TV every night. A little, like, infomercial. Not an infomercial, but, like, a public service announcement that said it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your kids are? <laughs> and half the time the answer is no. No. <laughs> um, no, I just meant that you and I successfully talked through an entire morning. <laughs> We're just we now recording in the afternoon. <laughs> That's okay. It's been a week. It has been a week. So here we are. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody. Um, this episode is coming out on the day that our Patreon launches. Woo woo. So that's so exciting. Like what what i'm what? so excited i just can't hide it oh don't get me started <laughs> on pointer sisters oh gosh what can of worms have i opened you have no idea <laughs> so um yeah we've talked about it for three weeks now you guys know we're super excited if you want more information check out our socials uh the patreon link will be in the bio yeah or in the description of this episode so if you want live streams behind the scenes content all that fun stuff. All of it. You know, as as you guys know, we are paralegals. So that's kind of our whole shtick. I've had some career moves and some career changes. I'm planning on uploading a little video about that on the Patreon. So if you're interested in that, you can check it out there. Very nice. Woot woot. <laughs> woot, woot. <laughs> um, but today we are doing a listener requested case. Yeah. I forget who requested it, though. That's what I'm trying to figure out. It was James. James requested this case back in October. Just now getting to it. Sorry, James. This is the case of Liz Riser and Brandy Hicks. All right. Okay. You may have heard of this. This is this has um, been covered by other podcasts. Many a podcast. It's also been covered by some big podcasts. So you've probably heard of it. But if you haven't, I've heard of it, but I don't know that I've heard the whole case. But I'm really bad at remembering. Yeah, we details were just talking about this. Yeah, so I always sound like I don't know anything about true crime cases. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, I watch and listen, but I don't retain yeah the details until I'm like halfway into listening to it again, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Can't blame you on that. I'm the so same we'll way. See. Especially now that we're producing episodes, because then it's just like in one ear, yeah. talk about it for an hour. Yes. On to the next. Yeah. So sometimes if we record too far in advance and people ask us questions, I have to go back into my notes and be like, <laughs> I don't remember. What was that case about? Again? Yeah. Yeah. So fair. Well, this one is out of my comfort zone a little bit. You guys know I tend to niche in. Mm-hmm. This is out of that. So be proud of me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is hard. It's a hard it's one. Hard. So we're going to get into it. I'll give you little warnings when things are about to get worse. Yeah. We're okay. going to travel back in time to I the year 2000. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yep. Okay. That was just like 10 years ago. It feels like it. <laughs> Except that I wasn't born. <laughs> so it was over 21 years ago. I'm so old. I know. Oh my gosh. I'm about to be 22. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, gosh. Anyway. <laughs> this is me procrastinating. Stop it. Okay. Around 4 a.m. one dark night in May of 2000, Jordan Reiser was awoken by a knock on the door of their Ohio home. Ohio. Thank you. Did that? My home state. I have to say it each and every time. You do. Jordan was only 12 years old, so he wasn't really sure what to do when he opened the front door to find a uniformed police officer. He was half asleep, and he heard the officer mutter something about his 17-year-old sister Elizabeth, who everyone called Liz. The officer said something about Liz being missing, so a groggy Jordan walked up to his parents' bedroom, who were, of course, dead asleep. Does everybody else's mom, like, jump like you've electrocuted them when you wake them up? I am the mom, and yes. <laughs> because I swear, every time I had to wake my mom up as a kid, she was just like, <gasps> because I think it's just mom instinct of like, what's wrong? Right. <laughs> like, instantly. I, yeah. yeah. So I just, I don't know. Thinking about Jordan going into his mom's room and being like, mom, mom. Yeah. <laughs> There's a copy here saying that Liz is missing and that Brandy's in the river. <laughs> and she was like, what? Yeah. Not good. Right. So he, like I said, he said the, the officer mentioned something about needing to, to find Liz or that Liz was missing and something about Brandy being found in the river. And okay. she immediately flew out of bed and ran down the stairs as fast as she could to find out if this is true or if she's dreaming. Okay. I have a question. Yes. What is Liz and Brandy's relation? Are they friends? They're best friends. Okay. So the reason that Becky, who is Liz's mother, was concerned is because she knew that if Brandy had been found in the river, Brandy and Liz should have been together. Right. And she doesn't know anything other than what Jordan is telling her, who right. halfway heard. And like, you know, I'm just trying to give you the picture of confusion here. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. he, she goes outside and the officer confirms that the, he's there to look for Liz. And he says, is Liz at home? And she says... Uh, no, she's with her friend Brandy. She's staying at Brandy's tonight. And the officer says, well, we already checked at Brandy's and she's not there. Is there any way she may have come home? So Becky's like, okay. So she goes and she looks to their house, but of course, no Liz. The officer informs her that Brandy was found after crawling out of the river and was hurt and said that Liz was missing. Unfortunately, that was all that this police officer knew. So he had just been sent there to the home to see if Liz was there. He didn't have any other information, which was, like, kind of not super smart on the police department. Don't show up at somebody's house and be like, well, I we mean, don't. <laughs> We're having reports that your daughter is missing, but I can't tell you anything else. I mean, if you have to, but. Well, they had a little bit more information and they didn't tell them at that point because this officer wasn't told. Well, yeah, because it's that whole. Right. It's still being investigated. So we have to. Right. Make sure. So here is the background that you were requesting. Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. <laughs> you did. It's okay. Again, I am confusion. <laughs> I am confusion. Elizabeth and Brandy were high school seniors in the year 2000. I keep wanting to say the year 2000 because of that uh, Jonas Brothers song, but it's actually the year 3000 in the Jonas Brothers song. <laughs> but it's just fun to say. Anyway, after Brandy's choir banquet, which Liz attended, the two best friends were planning a girls' night in and a sleepover. But they decided that they needed movies in order to have the ultimate slumber party. Of course. Their high school graduation was coming up, and they were really excited because this would be the first time that Liz's parents let her stay out on a school night. 
But like, you know, all her exams were done. She's basically finished. You know, what's the harm? Yeah. It's time. She's 17. She's graduating. This is a fun time for her. And she's a really good kid. So they got into Brandy's car and they jammed all the way down to the Hollywood video. Hollywood video. Yeah. They got their movies and after a few conversations about which one to pick out, they headed back to their car. It was there that they encountered a man in a baseball hat. He introduced himself as Mark and simply asked if they could give him a lift about a mile down the road. He explained that he was hoping to make it home in time to kiss his kids goodnight and to see his wife before they went to bed. No. It wouldn't even take them 10 minutes, he said, and he offered them $20 for their troubles. Now, the girls initially disagreed on how to proceed. Liz wanted to help the stranger, but Brandy was cautious. Eventually, they both agreed, thinking that it would be safe that there were two of them there. It was a smaller town. The town had a population of about 17,000 people. And that if he was only asking to go 10 minutes down the road, what could go wrong? What could go wrong if, you know, he just needs to go 10 minutes down the road? Just 10 minutes. No. They pile into the car and hit the road. Brandy's driving, Liz is in the passenger seat, and Mark is in the back. Everything seems okay at first, but the next red flag comes when Mark asks to stop at a set of trees, like off to the side of the road or like somewhere, like pulls him away from the main road and is like, can you just pull over like over here area? I stash something in a bag and I need to pick it up, which like, that's really weird, but he's just like, no, no, no. I just didn't want to carry it. I was like, blah, 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 blah. He, he justifies it and they're like, fine, okay. And um, when they stop and grab it, it's a six pack of beer in a plastic bag. So that's what he has. And at that, oh. So they keep driving. It's around nine o'clock at night-ish. The timeline's a little bit, like, not super public, but, like, the whole incident starts around nine-ish. Okay. Okay. So it's dark. Um, and he continues to give them directions, and they keep driving until it starts to be this really. This sounds like a lot further than a mile. Right. And so they they get a little bit further in and they're like, okay, how much further? And he's like, it's a it's like a mile. It's not that far. And he keeps giving them directions and they're realizing this is more than a mile and there are less houses this way. Like this isn't good. And so Brandy eventually pulls over and she's like, hey, it's a school night. We've got to get home. If it's really not that much further, like you have to walk. Yeah. And he responded with, well, would it make a difference if I told you I had a gun? Well, yes, it makes a difference, dog. Like, you got a gun, so it's going to make a difference. I hate this already. This is a really rough one. Oh, I hate this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, the girls did what anybody would do, and they shut up and they kept driving. Mm -hmm. He brought them down a very bumpy back road to a hill bottom and had them park the car. He made Liz take Brandy's shoelaces out of her shoes and tied them to the steering wheel of the car. As they looked around, Brandy recalls seeing that there were bottles and cans all around the ground, and this was clearly like a party spot or a hangout spot. She had already decided that this man knew the area. He wasn't a tourist or somebody just passing through, and this solidified it. He knows where, you know, people hang out. Yeah. As he got out of the car, the girls looked at each other. And this would be the last time that they were face to face. Liz apologizes, saying that she was sorry for getting them into this mess. And Brandy was quick to console her, telling her, no, we both agreed. We both made this decision in the end. 
And she says, I will see you again. No, she won't. Oh, my God. She will not. The man comes around to Liz's side of the car and pulls her out, walking her up and away from the car, down a path and over the hill, leaving Brandy tied to the steering wheel of the car. And I'm assuming he took the keys. Yeah. I mean, nobody ever says it explicitly, but like before somebody asks that, I'm assuming he took them. Yeah, because I don't know. I can't imagine that it would have been that difficult to get out of shoes. Drinks. Well, and so she said that they were like, well, she didn't say it, but she indicated in her, she did an I Survived episode talking okay. about it. So you can watch Brandy explain everything. They were like crossed to the top of the steering wheel and they were tied in the front. So it was like kind of, she couldn't have undone it by herself, but like if he had left the keys in the car, she could have driven. Right. So obviously he didn't leave the keys in the car. I just saw somebody comment that on a YouTube video. And I was like, bruh, obviously he didn't leave the I mean, keys. he obviously had a plan, so. Did he? This is the question. Oh. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it's up for debate. Now, Brandy couldn't see what was happening past the hill. It's And it's kind of, you know, was they were they on the hill? Were they at the bottom of the hill? Were they on top of the Whatever. They were near a hill. Mm-hmm. Brandy couldn't see what was happening on the other side. It was dark. There were no lights. Yeah. So she doesn't know what happens until after the fact, but I'm going to tell you in real time. Okay. Okay. So just keep in mind that Brandy doesn't know. Got it. The man who was calling himself Mark took Liz to the other side of the hill and forced her to kneel. There he stood and smoked some cigarettes. And according to him, he just stood there trying to figure out what to do with her. He wasn't sure. He thought about just letting her go, telling her to walk back to New Philadelphia where they were from. But he ultimately decided that Liz had seen too much of his face. He pulls out a massive linoleum cutting knife and goes behind her. He slashes her throat in three long slices, so hard that the incisions were 10 inches long and two inches deep. He didn't stop there. He continued to stab her in the neck and then several times to the top and the back of her head before abandoning her body. I told like, you. Why? It, like, why? But he claims he didn't have a plan. Like, his plan wasn't necessarily to kill these girls. Or so he claims. We, um... I just had to think about it for a few minutes, and then I decided the best thing to do is something that most people can only stomach doing when they have, like, rage against that person. Yeah. We, um, we honestly don't have a motive. We don't. That's insane. Yeah, we don't know. The only other thing I'll say is that... I am not super familiar with New Philadelphia, but I know where it is, and I do know somebody that grew up there, mm-hmm. and it's sad. I mean, obviously, whenever you say smallish town or small town and things like this happen because, un- unfortunately, the victims are a little too trusting. Yeah. As well, soon as you said New Philadelphia, I was like, oh, nope, I totally get that. I totally get that because the person that I know from there moved from there to Akron Mm -hmm. and they were horrified (laughs) at a lot of the stuff that takes place in Akron because, you know, it's just so different. And both these girls were raised like devoutly religious. And so they were taught to help people. And that's kind of what Liz came back to when they were discussing whether or not they wanted to help him. She was like, no, like we're supposed to help people. Yeah. So. Uh, Oh, thick. Yeah. Thick. It is, okay. it is very icky. And we'll talk a little bit more about how small this town was. Like I said, 17,000 yeah. people. 
And if you ever want to have a frame of reference for that, Google your own town so that you know how many people are in it. So that when mm-hmm. it, that's that's what does it for me. I can look at the population of Sarasota versus this population and kind of get an idea. Yeah. So he leaves Liz there and he walks back through the dark path to the car where Brandy was left. And I love this. He says, get out of the car. And she's like, you idiot. You tied me to the steering wheel. I can't get out of the car. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And so this is the first time she sees the knife. He pulls the knife out and slices her away from the steering wheel. So he still has another set of shoelaces from her other shoes, but he like cuts her free from this. Okay. Okay. And again, it is very dark and there's not a lot of light. So she can't really see much. And he originally walks her down the same path that he took Liz. But when they get a little closer to the bottom of the hill, Brandy starts to look over to the left side and he quickly redirects her to the right side. So she doesn't really see anything in the crime scene. And this is something that people get wrong a lot when they're reporting this case. And I don't understand why. But anyway, people people are like, he, he takes her and he shows her Liz's body. He doesn't. He directs her attention away. He stands there trying to figure out what to do. Smokes some more cigarettes, I guess. I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming so. He does that everywhere else. And then he ends up taking her back to the car. Hmm. Okay. He puts her in the car. He puts his socks on his hands to avoid putting fingerprints on the steering wheel, even though he's already been in the back seat. And even though he just sat and smoked at the crime scene. Yeah. And likely didn't think about it and threw his cigarette butts on the ground. If I had to guess. Right next to where Liz's dead body is. If I had to guess, yes. And he eventually drives the car away. Once they're in the car, I'm not sure if they were driving. I forgot if they were driving or if they were just sitting somewhere. But he kind of point blank tells Brandy, I killed your friend. Now, this is, <laughs> where, this is where we really start to see Brandy um, kicking her brain into gear. Like, yeah, she's a badass. And she knows that he's looking for a reaction and she doesn't give him one. Yeah. She just looks out the window in silence. And, I mean, obviously, she's totally in shock as well. But, like, yeah, I, I really think that it was her brain working, going, he's looking for me to sob, and I'm not going to. And after a few minutes, he confirms. And he says, I just wanted to see a reaction. I wanted to know if you would break down and cry. I didn't actually kill her. I told her to start walking back to New Philadelphia. And Brandy believes him because, of course, she does. She would never want to believe that he had actually killed her friend. And it was too dark for her to see that there was blood on his jeans. So, question. Yes. If people are reporting that he showed her, so, like, that whole conversation people skip over, because why would he show her and then say, I killed you? Yeah, they just don't acknowledge it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But she said, like, Brandy... Yes, says Brandy that says that's what happened. That she did not see Liz's body. And it'll make sense as to why it's important that she didn't see Brandy's body or Liz's body. Yeah. She says that this is the conversation that she thought that Liz was walking home. Right. Okay. To go get help. Like, yeah. And and she was focused on surviving and getting back to Liz because she told her she would see her again. Yeah. He drives them to a rural area near the train tracks and forces Brandy out of the car. He makes her walk barefoot, by the way, um, down some nearby train tracks and makes her carry his beer. She stumbles along and he talks to her the whole walk. 
He asks her if she's going to college, and she says no, that she's planning to going straight to work after high school. He doesn't seem to agree with this choice, but Brandy's goal at this point is to make... <laughs> yeah, he, like, gave her a look what? like, why are you doing that? What? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. And when you know more about this guy in the end, you're just like, who are you to say anything? I mean, who are you to say anything? I don't care what you've done with your life. Yeah. You're literally hiding beer in a field and picking up teenage girls to apparently kill. Yeah. Who are you to question people's life choices? <laughs> what the hell? Uh, okay. A little bit. <laughs> okay. Oh, gosh. So um, he, like I said, doesn't seem to agree. But Brandy, in her mind, is like, I just needed him to see me as a person. So she keeps talking to him. Yeah. You know, trying to befriend him. And at one point, she tells him that her feet hurt from walking on the train tracks. Because I don't know if you've ever walked on train tracks barefoot. I grew up in the mm-hmm. South. I have not, but we I took imagine. pictures on train tracks and I can't imagine walking on them with uh, shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> and so he at one point gives her his shoes, but only for a minute before he's like, give those back <laughs> and then gives her his socks, which is like such a little bitch move. If you're going to like force somebody out into a field and threaten to kill them, it's so weird. This is so weird so far. Yeah. What? I'm so again, I'm confusion. It is, and it's a it's a horrifying turn of events, and it all happens so slow and so fast at the same time. Like Ew. It's horrible. Okay. And and poor Brandy in this moment. Like, I can't it's about to just get so much worse. So here's um your little trigger warning for sexual assault. So skip ahead and catch up with us later if you'd mm. prefer. They come up on an empty, abandoned train car. He pulls her into the train car, and he sexually assaults and rapes her. What I find interesting is that this man can't perform. Can't get it up. He's like Blackjack Randall in Outlander. I believe you. (laughs) I'm going to start watching that soon, by the way. Brandy says that it felt like it went on forever, and eventually he got frustrated with his inability to ejaculate, and he forces her to put her clothes back on. Interesting. Yeah. Side note, I heard a couple of people when researching this case say that he unsuccessfully tried to sexually assault her. No, he sexually assaulted her. He just didn't finish. Yeah. And it just really ticked me off. Sorry. Anyway, tangent over. If you skipped over and you're looking for your sign that you can stop, this is you can stop here. You can come back. Not that this gets any easier. This gets worse. Mm -hmm. But that particular section is over. He forces her to walk the railroad trellis, which for those of you who are like me, that's a train bridge. (laughs) (laughs) It just has its own name. All right. It's the like really thin ones that only have room for the track. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Do you see? I see. I see what you're you doing. You see? Okay, cool. She's motioning. I am motioning. He forces her to walk over the railroad trellis, and it goes over the river. He tells her, go on to it, and kneel facing the water. I can't imagine what was going through her head right then. No. He, I. He took the other shoelace that he was holding in his pocket, and he wrapped it around her neck. He choked her until she lost consciousness. And she eventually came to, and he was still trying to strangle her, but somehow she had the strength to think straight, which adrenaline is a crazy thing. 
Yeah. And she played dead. Now, he wanted to believe that she was dead, but he had to prove it. So he began punching and hitting her so hard on the back, trying to force her to breathe. Like, yeah. push air out of her lungs. If she's really dead, she won't care. And he does this for a long time, and she holds out as long as she can. But eventually, he just hits too hard, and he does knock all the wind right out of her lungs. And she gasps involuntarily, of yes. course. And he got frustrated. And so then I think he straddled her or he changed position somehow and he grabbed her head and tried to snap her neck three different times, but was not strong enough to do it. Finally, oh my God. he strangles her once again. And when he thought she was dead, because again, she's trying to play dead this entire time. When he really thought that she was dead, he shoved her quote unquote lifeless body over the bridge. Her foot got stuck on the tracks. And so oh my God. a playing dead Brandy is dangling from the tracks 30 feet above a river and is successfully stifling any reaction. Oh, my God. He kicks her foot until she falls free and she falls headfirst three <gasps> stories down into the river. How in the world did she survive this? It had been a very rainy week in the area. And the water so levels the water were really high. Deeper. Oh, my God. Not only did she survive the fall, but she continued her act. She did not breathe. She did not flip over. She stayed face down in the water and let the current take her. Finally, when she kind of got the feeling that she was underneath the, the bridge, the yeah. train bridge, the trellis, um, she far enough away. She peeked up and realized that there was a group of logs that she could that were built up underneath the trellis that she could hold on to mm -hmm. and quietly held on and waited and didn't let the current take her any further. Okay. And when she looked up, she could see him on the tracks above, like through the slats. Yeah. And he wasn't paying attention through the bridge. He was looking like where she fell. Yeah. And so she watched him smoke cigarettes and pace and kick rocks into the river and talk to himself and he stayed for a very long time and eventually she was so cold because again this is may in ohio it, it yeah in the cold it's not it's not warm like no. that natural water isn't gonna be no warm even if it's an unusually warm may that natural water is not gonna be warm until at least mid-june but usually not till july right and it, it's like been raining and the yes. current was slow so it wasn't even like moving it, you know yeah and so she has to pull herself more onto the logs because she's so cold she can't stand it so she does that silently and eventually, she watches the cigarette light walk away. Yeah. So she forces herself to wait a few more minutes, as long as she can possibly stand, before she swims to shore. Now, it took her about three attempts to actually get onto the bank. But after she was able to, she started sprinting down the road with the last of her strength. Oh, my God. She was trying to flag down cars, dripping wet. But there was a bar up the road, and so a lot of people thought that she was just a drunk woman trying to get home. Yeah. And um, I will say, some people were like, you guys aren't picking up people off the side of the road. Like, why aren't you helping her? They called the police. So several of the cars that passed her had reported that there was a woman. Yeah. But before the report made it out to police, a man did pull over in a truck. 
I'm so, not gonna fault anybody. No, I'm not picking anybody up. I mean, like, I'm not victim shaming. Like, I just don't believe in that kind of help. Like, I believe in helping others, but I believe in personal safety. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and I think and it's even just if it's a, a different female, time. and even if it's a female on the side of the road, like, you don't know what she's capable of or if there's somebody else like hiding off the road you right know, like you, you don't, don't know. know so 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 yeah i don't think that they did anything wrong and they did call the police they had gotten tips in but it just yeah. it didn't happen fast enough for them to get police out there and so luckily a truck pulls up and realizes that this isn't a drunk woman this is a teenage girl and she's yeah. soaking wet and we're near the river so that's not good and he pulls over and he realizes that she has this horrible deep face wound and like a, she was bleeding from her chin area and that she had really deep ligature marks on her neck. Not to mention she's sobbing, crying. She's hysterical. Oh, yeah. So she does her best to explain to him that she had been attacked and that her best friend was missing. So she tells officers that Liz is missing. She doesn't tell them that she's dead. Right. And that's kind of important. And that's why they're looking for her at the house when they go. Yeah. You know, that's what people having the story inconsistently kind of bothers me. I mean, why would she say missing if she, she saw actually that she saw was dead. that she was dead? Yeah. Yeah. Thank God the man who pulled over was an off-duty police officer. Oh, God. So I mean, good. But, yeah. I mean, none of this is good. No, so. but so he was her guardian angel. He took her to the police station and he never left her side after that. He took her to the police station, was there when she talked to everybody and he took her to the hospital when she had to go, you know, get treatment and everything. Yeah. He stayed with her the whole time. I don't know. Um, Brandy did have family, but I'm not sure. You don't hear too much about them. I don't know how close they were. I do think... Um, that she had already moved out of her house. So she had just turned 18, and I know that I'm pretty sure she was living with roommates. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't hear it, like, more than just once or twice, but it's kind of hard to tell. I, yeah. I do think that he was definitely there for her, you know, and, and she's very grateful for him advocating for her, and she talks about that in her I Survived episode. Nice. When Brandy was giving her story, she gave a vague description of the man, but unfortunately, she couldn't remember anything super definitive about Mark. But luckily, it wouldn't take them super long to find their suspect. In the meantime... I'm shocked. <laughs> he sounds like such a good criminal. Yeah. Duh. In the meantime, the police talk with Brandy and get as much information about the location as they can, but of course, the details are hazy. They start sending officers down the streets to go look for Liz and to go look for the area that she described. Mm -hmm. And it was early in the morning, sometime around three or four, around the same time as the officer was sent to go to the Riser home to look for Liz to see if maybe she had turned up there when she was supposedly be walking back to New Philadelphia. Right. Um, two officers made their way down Harmon Hill Road. They noticed right away that it matched the description of having potholes and bumps in the road. And that when they got to kind of the hilly area described that there were beer bottles and cans. Sure enough, when they investigate down the path on the other side, they find the body of a teenage girl. She was clearly deceased. You know, all yeah. of the signs. They, of course, checked, but unfortunately, she was brutally killed. There was no way she yeah. could have lived. 
the police officers confirm that Liz is not home with her parents. And um, that's, you know, from the beginning of the episode, the professionals call that a callback. So that's what that is. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. The Reiser family got tired of waiting and praying at home. So they were like, you know what? Like anything bad did happen. They're going to take her to the hospital first. They're not going to take her here. So let's just go there. Yeah. So they show up to the hospital and the nurses really didn't know what to do with them because they were like, we weren't expecting you, I guess. So they put them in the waiting room and eventually the officers who found Liz's body track them down and show up and they confirm using a recent picture of Liz that unfortunately they had found her body early in the hours of that morning. Yeah. She is transported by ambulance to the coroner's office and the Ricer family the Ricer parents go home to inform their other children that their sister had passed away. So sad. Mm. How do you have that conversation? You you can't I can't even imagine. I can't. I can't imagine Mm-mm. at all. Like the next day, like really quickly after fact after the fact, a woman calls the police station and she tips off saying that she had reason to believe her son had been involved in a murder. You see, her son's brother-in-law had contacted her saying that her son, Matthew Vaca, had confessed a crime to him and had taken him to the scene of the crime the night before. Matthew Vaca was our Mark. And he did indeed have a wife and three kids. His family shared a home with his wife's brother, his brother-in-law. Yeah. The night of the crime, he got home and pulled his brother-in-law out of bed, saying that he needed him to come with him. Apparently, the two liked to go on drives together and smoke weed, so this was a little bit of a weird way to do it, but it wasn't totally out of the ordinary for them. Yeah. While driving, he told his brother-in-law that he had killed a girl. And he was like, I, I don't believe you. Like, what are you talking about? No, you didn't. And he said, oh, you don't believe me? I'll show you. And he takes him to back to where he killed Liz. I we keep getting these cases where these people just do like that. Murder 101. Murder 101. You don't, don't take anybody. Tell, to- why? Mm, okay. Yeah. Tell no one. I don't really tell people how to get away with murder, <laughs> but my God. Right. Ugh, okay. So while Brandy is at the police station and at the hospital, he is taking his brother-in-law back to the scene of the crime. Yeah. Um, so he shows him Liz's body and he has him help him look for broken pieces of the knife because the knife had broken off while he was stabbing Liz, which is why he had to manually attempt to kill Brandy. Instead of stabbing instead, her. Gotcha. Instead of stabbing her. Yeah. And also, he didn't actually have a gun. He just had the knife. As far yeah. as I can tell. Why wouldn't he have he would have shot her out, if or he, why, yeah. yeah, or right. sh- it, shot Brandy, at least. Right. Yeah. We don't, I don't know for sure if he actually had a gun or if it wasn't loaded or whatever, but I don't think he had one. We don't get a lot of information out of him, you'll find. <laughs> He's very <laughs> talkative with his brother-in-law, though. Yeah. So he has his brother-in-law help him look for pieces of the knife. And they like the two of them go to Walmart. He changes into a pair of shorts and they go in and they buy a couple things. They buy some stuff to sink the evidence with. It's a coffee mug and like a really heavy novelty lighter. And they put it in a plastic bag and they sink the 
rest of the evidence. They had also tried, but they, but they put it in a plastic bag to like yeah. save it. Yeah. <laughs> what? What is happening? Like I don't know what I don't know. They like wash it. it. We're gonna like get rid of it, but we're gonna put it in a plastic bag so all the stuff is potentially preserved. I mean, I don't know how else they would have done it to like sink it. I'm assuming they put it in a bag. Like, oh, okay. I don't. I'm pretty sure well, they, they did. got something heavy. Yeah, probably. I'm pretty sure they just stuck it in a bag, like stupid people. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there, but <laughs> you can't see this just genuine sass on my face. I'm sorry. I just okay. Regardless, they threw the evidence in the river, and. Is so dumb. I so dumb. They tried to go to like a 24-hour convenience store to do this first before they went to the 24-hour Walmart. And he walks up and he's like, Oh crap, my wife's relation, somebody, a cousin, a aunt, some I think it was his wife's aunt was working. He's like, Oh, I'm covered in blood. I can't go in. She'll see me. And did you not know that she worked there? I mean, I don't I, know. I, it's a small town. I don't know. They ended up going to a Walmart. Oh, Lord. So the next day, Matthew's brother-in-law calls Matthew's mom. And Matthew's mom, her name's Sheila, she calls the police. And she's like, uh, I'm not the one who's going to help. My son killed the girl yesterday. <laughs> so, so the brother-in-law doesn't stop and go, dude, I'm not helping you. He doesn't go to the police himself. He just calls mom to tattle. Yeah. <laughs> which like i can't blame him for helping him hide the evidence because like uh what if he killed me too like i would but then i would call the police and be like well i can this tell you where the happened. evidence is it's in the river but i was scared he was gonna kill me too if i, I didn't I, know i would have tricked i i wouldn't have i might have like gone to walmart and then been like oh i gotta go to the bathroom <laughs> climb and on then, the window and the, like while he's looking for the stuff to buy I got to go to the bathroom and then I just take off and go straight to the police and be like, well, that, yeah, this is, I'm not going to get, I'm not getting in trouble helping you hide evidence. Well, I understand what you're saying, but I, I also see how he ended up helping him, I, but I don't understand why he didn't just call the police himself. I mean, I'm assuming it has something to do with the drugs. He had kids. Pro- that's true. You know, but regardless. Well, you know, well, yeah, I actually don't know if he had kids or if they were just living with. Right. But I obviously know. he's doing illegal yeah. drugs right at the time um but if he just went like they probably would it wouldn't have mattered right his, his stash of marijuana wouldn't have mattered right regardless his Throw mom it out the window on your way to the police station <laughs> i don't know like his mom was like i'm calling the cops like i what good on no. mom yeah now the cops were familiar with matthew vaca he of had course. several drug and alcohol related charges and was currently on probation. He had served a year for felony forgery charges for like 15 felony counts of forgery. Mm, and but nothing violent. No, nothing violent that we know of. Now, he was that's actually that's actually not true. There had been calls and I'm not sure about charges, but there were definitely calls about him attempting to uh attempting to kill his father. Or threatening to kill his father. And there was a domestic dispute between he and his wife. And mm, allegedly okay. he may have pulled a gun on his wife. I did not look into those specific cases. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> uh, that's from Letterkenny. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, he wasn't a repetitive violent offender. 
they didn't he didn't have he had duis basically and the forgery charges so this was a lot of escalation but it was good because this means they had plenty of reason to detain him because it looks like he had violated at least some form of probation yeah and so they were able to hold him and until they could charge him with murder and attempted murder we have our man he's in custody the down and dirty of it is that they weren't able to officially charge him until after his preliminary hearing because they were like look we know you're connected to this and we know that that means you've violated your probation so we can keep you here yeah And they wanted to wait until they could look at all the evidence and absolutely charge him with the most amount of stuff possible, which they did. Good. Um, That included, he was charged with one count of aggravated murder, one count of attempted aggravated murder, one count of aggravated kidnapping, two counts of kidnapping, two counts of rape, three counts of tampering with evidence, and one count of abuse of a corpse. Knowing that the prosecutor's office wanted the death penalty, he agreed to a plea deal. And granted, yes. Question. Two counts of rape. Yes. Is it because of whatever he tried on Brandy or is it because he also raped Liz? Uh, It was the way that he assaulted Brandy. Okay. Gotcha. Now... He knew that the prosecutor wanted the death sentence, but both Brandy and the Reiser family didn't, they didn't want that. I don't know if it wasn't that they didn't believe in it, but they, they all agreed that it did more harm than good to go after the death penalty because it opens up a can of worms with appeals. You get a ton of appeals with a mm-hmm. death penalty case and it, it would have been more publicized and it, Brandy would have had to relive it more. Yeah. And so the prosecutor eventually was like, Brandy says she doesn't want it. The Reiser family left it up to me whether or not I wanted to pursue it, and I'm going to not pursue it. But he had already accepted a deal, so it's fine. Gotcha. His defense attorney tries to say that his original plan was to plea anyway because he didn't want to re-victimize Brandy in the Reiser family a second time. What a sweet guy. I know. Isn't he just so nice? And he also said that this taking a plea deal meant he might could see his kids again. Because he really cares about his kids. Hmm. Not sure how I feel about that. Right. The victim impact statements occurred at his sentencing hearing. And in her statement, Brandy says that she's working to forgive Matthew for his actions, as that's what her mother taught her to do, and she thought it would be good for her. You can tell she kind of struggles through it, but she truly feels like this is the way for her to go. Liz and Brandy both come from devoutly religious backgrounds, as I said, and all of the victims in this case lean heavily on forgiveness in the aftermath. It becomes a major theme for them. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah. The judge at the sentencing hearing directly addresses Vaca and asks him, like, you understand what you're about to face. You know um, that you're, well, I'll just read the quote. I was going to summarize, but. I think it's better if I just read it. Yeah. Matt, you understand what you are about to face. You already acknowledged it. You know, there is not going to be a surprise there. But, you know, facing what you're going to face, can't you, in this final act before you're banished from this county, from the lives of all of these people physically, can't you tell them why you did this to their children? And Matthew just stares down at the floor and is like, I don't know myself. 
the judge continues on and he's like, what were you thinking, Matt? You told people you wanted to experience killing a human being. That's what they told us. Why did you say that to them? Why did you want to experience killing a human being? Was it the drugs? Was it the music? Was it the pornography? Is that what you tell the young people in this community? He's basically like, just please give us a reason. And so this comes into play. There had been some talk about, you know, he liked heavy metal music. Did that influence him? There was definitely an issue as to the type of pornography that he enjoyed. But I didn't, there's not, it's not like super public information to be able to find is because it was all kind of within the legal circle and it wasn't a trial. It was just a sentencing hearing. So there's not a ton of public information about it. And I didn't want to speculate, but I did think that that part of the judge's quote was important for you to kind of get some context as to what they were thinking, trying to figure out why he had behaved the way that he did. Matt eventually tried to interrupt the judge and said, I am responsible. You got to know that I'm willing. I'm willing to give my life. That's how he said. Which like, okay, then die. (laughs) But like, no, you're not because you shouldn't have just just not killed. Why? Why? And at some point he says to somebody, I don't even know who, he's just like, well, it was originally a robbery and I don't know why, but it just kept going. And then he tells other people he just wanted to know what it was like to kill another human being. So we don't... You gave them $20, or you were going to. Well, and at one point, like, when he first pulls out the gun, he did say, like, give us all... Give me all your money. And they're like, we don't have cash. Like, take our cards. And he's like, this isn't enough. And then he tells them, keep driving. Like, he starts it out like it's going to be a robbery, but I really don't think he ever had the intention for it to be one. Because why would you have a linoleum hunting, like a linoleum cutting knife at the ready at the Hollywood video store? And he had a baseball hat, like really low. He knew what he was doing. He wanted to do this. We just don't know why. Ick. Ick is right. My favorite statement out of the sentencing hearing actually comes from the prosecutor. (laughs) And she's bad to the bone. She says, The death penalty does not provide the swift justice that it's intended to do. I think that you deserve to die for the crimes you committed, absolutely. I want you to understand what you have to look forward to in prison. You'll be beaten repeatedly and you'll be brutally raped and you'll lose every ounce of dignity that you have left in your body. And you will live in terror, not for the hour or so that Liz Reiser did or the hour that Brandy Hicks did, but for every minute of the rest of your life. Mic drop. Damn. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, like, are you allowed to say that as a prosecutor <laughs> in the courtroom? Like, are you allowed to admit that we know we, we know, know what's going to happen in prison? I don't know. But she did. Wow. The judge handed down the maximum sentence. And the same day, he had also was sentenced for the violation of his probation And he was sentenced to another 22 years for that crime. It came out to 123 years. (laughs) Or he would be 123 when he got out. I think it was like 90 90 something years. And he would be 123 when he got out of prison. And because he entered a plea deal, there were no appeals. He is still serving his time at the Mansfield Correctional Facility. And where are they now? Brandy is a happily married mother of three living a quiet life away from the spotlight. Liz Reiser's mom, Becky, has written a book. She has a blog and her whole family has taken a really forgiveness forward approach to their healing process. 
And they have met with Matthew Vaca since the trial. They have forgiven him. They have prayed with him. They have talked him off of suicide attempts. He has answered all of their questions. And she is just say she just says that that's what they needed to do in order to really cope and to to feel that they moved on. And I kind of get annoyed when there are some people who cover this case and they're like, well, he's taking advantage of their kindness. And I'm not saying that he's not. He absolutely is. But at the same time, I mean, anybody would. Right. Honestly, that's human nature of like these people are being kind to me. These people who shouldn't be should probably not be kind to me and in most circumstances would not be kind to me and they would have been fighting for the death penalty and whatever yeah. are actually being kind to me so i think that's a sh- that's just human nature and right. actually and honestly honestly this is different for every person mm-hmm. it's kind of like the difference between an authoritarian kind of parent disciplining you and grounding you and being really like mm-hmm. stringent versus the moms who look at you and go, I'm just so disappointed. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it might actually be more emotionally tormenting for him right. to have them be kind. And he knows like it just sinks in different, you yeah. know, rather than him hardening because the punishment is so hard. And everybody hates him. He now has to face all the time. Like, I really fucked up. I did this to these nice people. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. It's just a thought. It's interesting to think about, like, how this family reacted. And his public defender reads a statement at the sentencing hearing. Mm -hmm. And he takes full responsibility. He says, I know I ruined three families today. And, you know, I think that the the Ricers and Brandy all have... They all have the right to process this however they choose to. Mm-hmm. And if that means forgiving him so that they can move forward, yeah. then I'm glad that they got the closure and they needed to do that. For me, hearing stories like that, that I know is like a Christian perspective. Yes. I don't know if I could fully do that. Right. <laughs> but... I also like I understand I understand they need to move on with life and if that's if that's what they need to be able to function and not have this tragedy totally undo them and each of them individually as well as their families then that's what they need to do right so we're gonna I'm gonna go on a little bit of a a little side tangent here but it, it is related to the case so Right now, as we're recording this, everything is coming out. Gypsy Rose Blanchard was released from prison. Mm, yeah. And um, she must have hired a great PR team. <laughs> so she's in the spotlight. And I know that that's a lot of people have opinions about it. I have opinions, but I'm not going to share them. What I am going to say is I saw somebody say this and then I saw it while I was researching for this case. And it really resonated with me about people's reactions to the Ricer family's forgiveness. And that is that people love victims and they care about victims until they behave differently than they think a victim should Mm, behave. That's so good. So people loved and cared about Gypsy Rose until she comes out and is not behaving like a victim. People cared about the Ricers and they cared about their feelings until they behaved and they forgave him and they sat with him and they prayed with him and handled it differently than they would. And then they had 
then they started to disagree. Yes. And nobody, nobody can tell a victim how to handle a situation. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say on that. I'll talk to Alicia about my opinions about Gypsy Rose if she wants me to, <laughs> but like, I'm not going to talk about that on the podcast because I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I've only heard bits and pieces of like what she's been doing and stuff, but um, no, I love that. I think that's absolutely true, especially in today's age yeah. of social and I, media and, and also, yeah. everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. And also, you and know we what? All know this what is, they say about opinions. This is what I'll say <laughs> about Gypsy. That what I just said about people dictating how a victim should behave, that's how I feel. Do with that what you will. That's Fair. that's my opinion. I don't yeah. care what she's doing. It's how she wants to handle it. Let people be. Let let people, especially people who have been through stuff. Yeah. So. And keep in mind that you may not always know everything they've been through. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So. If you made it to this point in the episode, leave us a graduation emoji, whether it just be the grad cap or it be um, the little woman in her graduation hat because Liz was like, I think it was either the next day or a few days away from walking the stage. And I know her family walked on her behalf. So um, leave that for her. And yeah. Thank you, James, for recommending this case. It was different than I normally do, but I will say I... I really enjoyed it. It brought back a lot of my like love for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, survivor stories are important. Brandy is one of the strongest human beings I've ever heard of in my entire life, and that's crazy impressive, especially for somebody yeah. as young as she was. Yeah. Thanks for the recommendation because I'm glad that I covered it and I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're so welcome. If you want to see Alicia's reaction to part of this case, check it out. It's uploaded on the Patreon. And we will talk to you next week. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.